Thanks for joining uh, the Business Matters podcast today. I'm Richard Alvin, Managing Editor, and I'm pleased to say that joining me today is uh, Barney Rag, who's the co-founder and CEO of robotics firm Caracuri. Hi, Barney. Hi, Richard. Nice to meet you. Barney, uh, just uh, give us a quick overview of uh, exactly what Caracuri is uh, trying to do uh, within the uh, specifically in the food-to-go industry. Yeah, we're... Um... We're uh, providing robotics and automation systems predominantly for quick service restaurants, uh, large catering companies, and for retailers. Uh, And what we're really trying to do is to bring the fourth industrial revolution into the catering space. So helping catering operators optimize their service, give their customers better uh, choice, better value for money, and allow them to run their businesses more efficiently by reducing food waste and optimizing their staff profiles, making it easier to find staff to work in those environments, take away the dull, boring jobs that are difficult to recruit for and people tend not to want to work in. So uh, who would you say was your rough sort of uh, client? Are we looking at Michelin-starred restaurants or more the sort of office canteen, that sort of level? For our first product, the DK1, we've kind of got customers in three core areas. Uh, the first I would say is the quick service kind of takeaway restaurant, uh, typically lunchtime, early evening meal, uh, where you know there's usually very high demand for a very short period of time. People want to go in, grab a salad, grab a meal box of some type, um, and they want to be in and out, get that very quickly. Um, second type of customer for us would be the large catering companies, people doing schools, hospitals, big offices, government facilities. Um, and the third type of customer for us uh, retailers who are more and more trying to offer something that's ready to eat but replace the kind of idea of a salad bar or a deli counter with something that's a bit more configurable and a bit more complete as a meal offering. I take it obviously at the moment given that the the social distancing that's going to be in play um, the sort of a, ro- a robotic kitchen would actually be uh, quite an important addition um, allowing uh, you know, restaurants to actually reopen faster um, and actually get get food uh, actually flowing quicker as well. Um, so, so how do you actually sort of see uh, your devices actually working within a com- you know a commercial kitchen? Yeah, I mean we've seen uh, first thing I think I would say is it's really early days. Everybody's sort of learning about what social distancing is going to mean in the host- hospitality industry and and how we're all going to work to do it. But we've. Uh, the last, you know, four to six weeks, we've had a huge amount of inquiries from operators who are predominantly trying to figure out how they can make uh, their operations safe for their, for their staff and for their customers. Um, and if you think, you know, you've got to have social distancing from a customer point of view, imagine what that's like from a staff point of view. So a lot of these places are optimized around very tiny kitchens very small spaces for serving where people were really cheap by jowl you know they're very tightly uh, put into that space to get the maximum efficiency and if you start to introduce two meter separation in those spaces it's you know we've had a lot of a lot of the big chain operators call us and say can you help us make our workspace safe for our employees so um yeah there's a lot of conversation about that at the moment and i think it's really brought the focus into one of the things that robotics can do which is to optimize human workflow so you can have lower density of people around it but also it's very hygienic it's you know the, the food is separated from people it's very good for allergens things are uniquely contained they're uniquely dispensed you don't have people able to interfere with it or contaminate it 
uh, either intentionally or unintentionally. And I think there's certainly been a lot of interest around robotics and automation and how that can help with a sort of hygiene hygiene aspect and a separation of people from food aspect, as well as separation from people from each other as they go through preparing a service or collecting their lunch. When you're talking about roboticizing um, the actual sort of production of food, um, either now or in the future, in a future incarnation of your devices, are they going to have almost like a food, like a, a taste sensor, um, so they can work out the, you know, the, the the salt quantities or whatever else to make sure that it, they're mixing it properly, or will it be absolutely um, uh, palletized in so much as that they, you know, they only use certain volumes of quantities, and so there's no variance or anything else like that. Well, there's two, there's two aspects to that. So our first uh, generation of technology is is the DK1 serves pre-prepared foods. So that's foods that have, you know, in, in a quick service restaurant very often have come from a central kitchen somewhere. They're prepared and chilled and shipped out to the point of consumption, the, the restaurant for pick out. And they're very consistently made, they're very consistently put through. But from a user point of view, the thing about what a DK1 can do is it can allow you to be very specific about the portion size of something you want. So that allows you to have a very, very specific menu. So instead of just saying, you know, on the back, this meal will typically contain this many calories, this much salt, this much carbs, all the rest of it, you can dynamically present that to a customer and you can allow them to change the portion sizes. So you can change the the, the quantities of the component ingredients that you're getting. So if it's a Caesar salad, for example, you might decide – you want less anchovies because they're a bit salty or you want less dressing because that's a bit fatty. You want to get the overall calorie down and take out the carbs by taking out croutons. You're in control as a customer. And because the machine does everything very accurately, you'll get exactly what you want. As we move into the future and we start to see robots preparing dishes and and doing things, then, yeah, absolutely. One of the, the key things that drives robotic technology is sensing. It's about a machine being able to identify whether it's optically, whether it's by temperature, whether it's by mass, whether it's by chemical composition, what it is that's in front of it, and then being able to make decisions about how it alters that. So yeah, you might find that you know there's a, uh, a machine that starts to make soup or makes a stew or is cooking something, and it's constantly analyzing the, chemi- the chemical composition of the dish. And if it notices that there's not enough salt in it, it will add more salt. It, it will have a taste through an artificial intelligence by looking at what it thinks the pattern of combination of chemical composition of that meal should be. It will never have the artisanal tip of the tongue flavor that a human has that suddenly goes, oh, if I just put something different in there, this might taste like something else. I I think we're a long way from machine learning and AI doing that, but pattern matching, following, learning, adjusting a mix, you can already see that happening in the the manufacture of of pharmaceuticals and paints and other things. There's no reason why that kind of technology can't be evolved into what's happening in food. When you talk about the sort of AI not being able to replicate the the artistic and uh, artisan way of cooking, I mean, one of your advisors is actually uh, Heston Blumenthal, uh, one of the most uh, sort of forward-thinking chefs uh, around at the moment. So, so what's Heston's involvement, and how is how is he sort of embracing the AI technology? Um, and, and I suppose potentially he's going to look to bring it into his own kitchens 
um, in, in due course. Well, well, Heston's great to work with. I mean, he's, he's like a ball of creative energy that's just waiting to go supernova at any moment. He's, he's always got a million ideas of, of things that are going on. But one of the things Heston said when we first talked to him, we were, we were really concerned about people being negative around robotics and taking away the artisanal part in food. And when we talked to Heston, um, he was very interesting in that, you know, he's famous for his scientific approach to cooking. He, he looks at things in a lot of detail. That means that things have to be done very deterministically. If you go into one of Heston's kitchens, everything has to be prepared almost scientifically with a very great degree of uh, dedication and, and structure and control about the way they make things. Or some of these very clever dishes just don't work. They need that, they need that amount of data. And when we talked to Heston, one of the things he said is, he, he felt like it was a great tragedy that he created these great dishes, but he was making his chefs like automatons. They were becoming very formulaic in what they had to do because that control and that accuracy meant they had very little opportunity to express their own creative nature. So he was, you know, we were concerned when we first spoke to him, well, perhaps he's not going to like the idea of robots. It's kind of the antithesis of everything. But actually, when we talked to him, he was really like, no, I think this is brilliant. If you can help me automate these tasks that I need to do that, that drive out the art, that don't give my staff the opportunity to do the artistic creative part because they spend so much time working on these detailed structural linear processes. If you could free them up from those things and allow them to be the artisans I want them to be, then that's a fantastic result. So, and we've seen that across the industry. I mean, when we're not making our first machine, I very much doubt you will see in a Michelin star restaurant, but we've had similar feedback to Heston's from other people across the industry. Right at the beginning of Karakuru, we sat down with Ruth Rogers from the River Cafe. And I remember sitting down with him thinking, Christ, what's Ruth going to think of what we do? Is you know, the River Cafe doesn't even have a menu. You know, they make it up every day based on what is fresh and what they think will be the tastiest. Um, and you know, Ruth was like, No, I think this is great. We have huge problems of keeping consistency. We have different people. We serve two dishes. They've got different things in there. Different chefs have different interpretations. There's a sort of standardisation, a sort of approach that we need that works hand in glove with our artisanal aspects so the dk one's probably not for somewhere like the river cafe or the fat duck but the premise of the technology that we're developing i think will become critical in all commercial kitchens as time goes forward are you also potentially filling a void that you know the b word brexit may also be generating in so much as some of the lower level um staff within uh kitchens um you know may not be available um because you know they, they come from other countries um, and so automating that level of process may well actually fill a void that many uh restaurants uh, and, and kitchen companies are actually saying that you know in two or three years time they may well actually have that drain of staff I, whatever your views are on Brexit, that problem existed before Brexit. Um, so actually recruiting staff in, in an environment to do these things in kitchens where it's much easier to find zero hours work or for people to be freelance, to be Uber drivers, Amazon workers, Deliveroo, cyclists, whatever, that it, there's just been a problem across the catering industry to find that kind of staff. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely something. We, we look at 
the economics that drive our business is driven by two factors of the economics of, of the hospitality industry. We can't really do anything about your fixed costs, your rent, your insurances, your rates, things like that. But the two major factors in operation are input costs and staff costs. And we can help you better manage your staff costs and by really understanding what your order patterns look like, your volume should be, and the way that you portion things, we can help with input costs. And it's interesting when we talk to the big chains, the feedback that we get is not necessarily that they want to, to reduce their staffing costs by reducing headcount. It's very often about reducing churn. So, you know, we've got one chain we work with where it's not unusual for them to be recruiting between five and six times a year for every role that they have. The turnover of staff is absolutely phenomenal. And so they have a huge cost associated with that, recruiting, training, managing, putting people through those processes to get them there. Extremely time-consuming, extremely cost-expensive for them. Um, and it also has a really negative impact on quality and the overall working environment. So their brief to us was, we've done a survey. Here's all the jobs that people don't like in a kitchen. Can you help us reduce those jobs? Because if you can take that away, we can keep our headcount the same, but our, our staff cost saving will be in long-term employees, keeping people in the, in the role for longer. Okay. When we talk about economics, um, you know, Karakuri for a new start is actually backed by um, some quite high-profile um, backers. In the in in Ocado is one of your backers. Brent Hoopman, Henry Lane Fox uh, are also backing. How did that come about, and and where do you see your 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 trajectory um, over, a, say, a, a very short period of time, and then in the longer term? Uh, so how did it come about? Um, I uh, spent some time in 2017 uh, with deciding that I wanted to go back into startup world. I wanted to build a business from scratch. And a number of ideas that I was looking at. I was also doing a lot of advisory work with a couple of VC funds in London. Um, I was also helping some friends out who ran restaurants, just kind of looking at their business and trying to help them be a little bit more business-minded, a little bit less chef or restaurant-minded, and sort of started to see stuff happening. I thought, well, I think we could use technology to improve these processes. About that time, uh, but back into Brent, uh, they were not long after started Founders Factory. And one of the things that he and Henry wanted to do was to open a robot restaurant. They didn't know why or what. They just felt that it was an exciting project. So, you know, that was the, the coming together of those two things, me looking at the hospitality space, thinking there was places where technology could fit. Their desire to do something was really what was the, the birthing point of, of Karakuri. Um, and uh, Brent and Henry, through Founders Factory, provided the initial uh, seed funding or initial incubation funding that allowed me to go off and really develop the idea, take it from a you know, sort of back of an envelope conversation into well, let's see if there is a real business case here and what we could do. And throughout that process, we met and talked to lots of people, uh, including Ocado, who are, you know, probably the UK's biggest user of robotics, certainly the biggest robotics designer in the UK right now, I think. Um, and uh, we, we just started a relationship with him that that grew. Paul Clark came on our advisory board, their CTO. He started to look at some of the products that we were developing. Um, 
originally we we had no idea that there'd be commercial interest or investment interest from Ocado. They hadn't done any investment at that point. Um, and just as we were coming to the beginning of 2019, we were starting to put our investment round together. And Ocado came forward and said, look, we actually think there's something here that was we're really interested in. We're really interested in your technology. We think that that's very interesting. And we think there's a there's an opportunity to use this in the e-commerce uh, grocery space um, that you know we'd like to explore with you. And and we're just thinking about starting to do some investments. You know, we'd like to invest in you. So we were the first company that they invested in. Uh, they led our investment round. Uh, first minute capital followed on, which is uh, a fund that Brent and Henry involved with, uh, and Hoxton Ventures came into the round. Um, so yeah, we're we're very lucky. Uh, we have a a, a good uh, separated relationship from Ocado in that they, they act like an arm's length VC, but also they act like a great customer and a great partner. So. Um, it's not the type of strategic investment relationship that you sometimes see with big companies investing in startups. It's much more a VC relationship, which was something I was concerned about and they wanted to ensure happened. Uh, and it's it's exciting to be working with them. They've got some great people there, great ideas. You just see their business go from strength to strength. Um, and there's always somebody there to turn to if I have a question. Um, and uh, yeah, they've been a great partner. Okay, just so we're clear, whilst Brent and Henry's idea about a completely robotic uh, restaurant uh, may also have included waiting staff, et cetera, et cetera, like some sort of caricature definitely isn't going down that road, at least at the moment. Um, you are staying well well behind the past and keeping in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, I think from where Brent and Henry's idea was and my idea was, we, we moved a long way, you know, as these things do. But, uh, yeah, we're really interested in the in the kitchen as a as a unit that produces food and we're interested in how food comes down the supply chain into the kitchen as a as a manufacturing unit how orders come in how things are organized both in terms of optimizing humans doing tasks and robots doing tasks and then the process of orders getting out there are a bunch of companies who are doing um last mile delivery robotically or in restaurant delivery robotically um, there's a whole bunch of people doing that. There's a whole different set of constraints and problems that they deal with to do that. We're quite happy to work with those guys. We're friends with lots of them, but we're not going to start building those uh, robotic waiter replacements in in, in the near term. Um, given Ocado's effectively fully automated and robotic warehousing, do you see within the sort of you know short to medium term, almost with your products, a, a completely automated kitchen as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we do. I mean, I think the you know the idea of you know what everybody talks about as completely automated is there's always a there's always a tail in and a tail out of what that complete automation means. Um, you know, a lot of people go, oh yeah, it's fantastic. Be like Star Trek. I turn up at a machine and I press some buttons and this thing you know teleports itself there. We're quite a few ways years away from that, but I think. What we do is we look at the business case of each type of restaurant and each type of application, and we look for where can the technology that's available to us now or in two years or in five years, where can we find a way to fit in that is going to give the most return? And so uh, that means that I don't think 
you know, I think we're, I think it's highly unlikely in the next two to five years, we'll see completely unstaffed restaurants. There's always going to be some element of staffing, even vending machines, of which there are some people making sophisticated robotic vending machines, need staff to go and fill them and do things with them and clean them and do stuff. There's, there's always something in there that goes in that. And I, I think we're, to me, the, the sweet spot with this technology and the interesting business case here is, is how you best use both humans all their strengths and weaknesses, their ability to deal with problems, their ability to deal with other people, their ability to be creative, and machines, which is their ability to be reliable, deterministic, do the jobs we don't like doing. How do you marry those two things together to get the best commercial result? And that, to me, is the exciting part about what we're doing as a business. Whilst you've been slightly delayed in getting your initial prototypes and development products actually out, um, I think you're looking at sort of September now um, for those to actually to, to, to go live. Um, where do you see, assuming that, you know, they work properly and ha- ha- how you envisage in September, where do you start, you know, where do you see your products to start going mainstream? Um, you know, are we talking a year, two years, or of quite a fast turnaround? No, I mean, the, we're doing really cutting-edge technology, which is always uh, really difficult and frustratingly slow for uh, the CEO of a technology company. Um, and and uh, pardon? And your investors, I'm sure. <laughs> I, think, I think my investors are more patient than I am sometimes. <laughs> I certainly know my, my team think that. But, um, you know, we've a great team. They're working really hard. They're doing loads of stuff. We Next year, the, the end of this year is about us working with Ocado, putting out our first machines. We'll be doing some stuff with them in one of their staff canteens. Then next year... We'll be we'll be ramping up a series of engagements with different people in different in different sectors, different application areas for us. Um, with us moving towards the end of next year into full production, so uh, these things are it, it's complicated. I think everybody, uh, you know, what we're trying to do, everybody in the in the food robotics space is it, it's a huge area. I mean, you know, the best estimate is somewhere like about three and a half or four trillion dollar addressable market worldwide. It's an area where technology is just coming to uh, be able to be used. And there's so many different verticals inside it. You know, there's people making robotic pizza machines, there's people making, you know, delivery bots, there's people making curbside bots, there's people making burger robots, there's people making chip robots, all of which takes a huge amount of investment and time to get through. And so, um, you know, I, I think this is this is not a, you know, it's, it's not kind of like a, a social media or an app-based solution where the idea can come forward, it can go viral, you can start with a minimal viral viable product and then it can grow very rapidly from there we're, we're all limited by the, the time scales that that hardware takes and uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be big businesses built quickly because i think the market is so enormous if we get one product right you very quickly get to a scale on that product but i think we're really at the you know this is this is the kind of very early days of the before the Model T Ford in the car industry. You know, we're really starting this out. And I think it's, it's you know, like the big transformation of moving from a horse to a car, moving from people doing food to machines really coming in to be part of that. Food's going to take time. But when it does, we're going to look back and go, 
why did we, you know, why did we do it that way in the past? You know, it's, it's uh, the type of thing that I think you will become completely prevalent in in every restaurant kitchen around the world. So you aren't going to be able to uh, capitalise on uh, and help out those people bemoaning the potential death of the uh, buffet uh, and actually have robots actually serving people their, their buffets in travel lodges up and down the country in a couple of months' time. Yeah, I mean, we've, we, you know, we've been inundated with calls um, in the last six, eight weeks um, from everybody trying to work out how they can make uh, everything from hotel breakfast through to staff canteens, through to hospital canteens, um, more for, safe from a social distancing point of view. And, that, and that's both for customers you know, you don't want waiters handing menus, doing all those kind of things. That's difficult. People hanging over bowls of food while they help themselves, and staff. And and a lot of kitchens have been optimally designed to be very small, so that people work in a tight space, very close to each other, to to help with the economics of the, of the business. And when suddenly you've got to put two meter gap between people, then all of that kind of breaks down. And how does it work? So clearly, you know what we're doing with. Um, you know, with our DK1, which is essentially automating buffets, automating canteen service, automating that pre-order pack and put together thing is extremely attractive in that space. And I, I, I wish we could say, oh, yeah, of course, COVID turned up and we just, you know, flicked a switch and all of our development could go a year faster than, than we expected. I, I'd love that. But the reality is that it, it, things don't happen quite like that. So um, we are... Uh, you know, the, the COVID is a huge opportunity for us, but we don't know, like anybody else in the hospitality industry, we don't know whether in three months' time, six months' time, or a year's time, what the real operating model of a school canteen, a hospital canteen, a quick service restaurant is going to be. I think everybody's, we're all doing the same thing. We're trying to go as quickly as we can, trying to provide as much data to people as we can. People are trying to learn and understand about as much as what the, the new requirements are going to be. And we're all every day learning a bit more, figuring out where we go and, and how we can help each other. You know, it, it's, it's one of those times where, you know, everybody I think wants to see hospitality back running again and trying to find creative solutions to do that is, is a priority for everybody. Um, roughly compared to a human, um, how fast could, you know, for example, your DK1 actually process um, you know, a buffet or, or whatever it's going to be doing versus a human? Is there a, is there a substantial time saving as, in addition to, to the actual labour labor saving? Uh, yes, in that what we can do is, I mean, it, you can always get more throughput by adding more people. Right, so if you're running a buffet or a canteen style thing, if you if you run two of them, you could get more throughput. The the question is, what can we, you know, what does one machine replace? And that 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 uh, depends very much on the on the menu and what it is we're dispensing. But you know, typically we see you know sites where they may have had two or three people working a full shift throughout the day, maybe opening up, preparing, then after the lunchtime, closing down and cleaning. Uh, and in peak hours, you might have seen 8, 10, 12 staff there. We're working with people where their model becomes, okay, we'll have those full-time staff just stay throughout the day. We don't need more than those three or four people. So, And that allows them to hit the throughput that's required. And that, that throughput can be you know, well north of 100 meals an hour. And you're talking about 
100 unique meals an hour. So nothing's pre-prepared, nothing's pre-assembled. People can say, you know, I want, I don't know, pineapple seed or pineapple on my Caesar salad. Um, and I want it done like this. And each one can be made to them, to their exact requirements and made ready for when they want it. And it's that flexibility that is a huge incentive for a customer to use the machines or to use a restaurant that's running the machines. And it's that flexibility and that that leveling of that staff profile in a very, very difficult environment where you know most restaurants were trying to hire those extra people for a couple of hours or three hours and finding it impossible to do it that makes the uh, economics of our business work. Excellent. Um, I think that's it. So Barney uh, Rag, uh, founder and CEO of robotics company Karakuri, thank you for your time today. Pleasure. Really nice to talk to you. Working with leading experts who know all about the business you run because your business matters. (laughs) 